Babe, there's something different about my mango pineapple smoothie. Really? My caramel frappe tastes fine. Nah, something's definitely different. No difference? Other than I got them for half off because I ordered on the app. Well, that explains it. Explains what? How things seem to taste so much better when you're getting a sweet deal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right now at Mickey D's, get 50% off any size McCafe beverage when you order through the McDonald's app. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Follow one time per day. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The year was 1987. In Bedford, Ohio, a high school junior who had never played sports was invited to a drug awareness retreat at a local recreation center. During a break in the retreat, he'd walk over to a basketball and a hoop and begin to shoot baskets. When he got home from the retreat, he told his mom, I think I want to play basketball. His mom simply said, well, then watch games on TV. From that retreat to this very day, that kid from Bedford, Ohio, has loved the game of basketball. He would lay in his bed at night and listen to the voice of Joe Tate in games on AM radio. When games were on local TV, he would watch them too. He would study the players and their moves. They were his coach. The TV was his practice gym. There was one player that he really liked, a point guard. He identified with that player, and although he was a far better shooter, maybe the best shooter ever, That player was Mark Price. That kid from Bedford, Ohio, was me. Today I have the absolute honor to interview one of the few heroes I have in my life. I use the word hero very carefully. I am particular about who I would give that label. Today, I get to interview a man of faith. A man respected by fans, not only in Cleveland, but across the NBA landscape. Today, I get to interview a player that represented Cleveland in an amazing career with our hometown Cavaliers. My guest today is my new friend, one of my favorite few heroes and former Cleveland Cavaliers guard, Mark Price. Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, recording from the Unscripted Studio at the Junction in Old Hilliard, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad. All right, everybody, welcome to Unscripted from my studios here at the Junction in Old Hilliard. Corby, thank you for the introduction on audio as always. Wow. Uh, This one's been planned for a while. It's been teased for a while, and um, it is not often you get to introduce an 
interview one of your heroes. So let, let me just go ahead and let my guest introduce himself. And then we will literally go from there. Who is my guest today? Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, uh, my name is Mark Price. And uh, obviously, I played for the Cavs for nine years uh, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, looking forward to doing the podcast here with Aaron today. Mark, I, I could literally... I, I have so many notes in front of me and people that know me know I, I'm unscripted as always. I could go through your resume, and but it would take time. And I don't want to take time because you're a very busy man and I don't want to take your time. But but let me, let, just a few. Four-time NBA All-Star, All-NBA First Team, three-time NBA All-Star uh, Third Team, two-time three-point shooting contest champion, um, goodness, 50-40-90 club, number 25 retired by the Cavaliers. I'm just going to stop there because we literally go look at Wikipedia and you can get all Mark's stats. If y'all don't know who he is, I can't help you. Like Mark Price, uh, I'm pretty sure anybody listening to this, anybody watching this knows who Mark Price is. But um, man, let's start with with the very first thing I could think of is, is this. With the 25th pick in the second round of the 1986 NBA draft, the Dallas Mavericks select Mark Price, guard, Georgia Tech. Let's start there. I, I, I know we want to talk about some Georgia Tech stuff in a minute because there's an article that I had that I found, like I literally have in my basement. I wish I could have had it and I could post it. But um, let's start with the 1986 NBA draft. Second round, Mark Price to the Dallas Mavericks, which Vic, very quickly, was that draft day? You'll have to explain this. So was that draft day? Did you get, when did the flip come? Because we all know you didn't, you didn't even put on a Mavericks uniform. You started playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's, let's go back right there and we'll start there. Well, just a little bit of a backdrop, but going into that draft and, you know, it's, it was a little bit different time. There was only 24 teams in the league. Right. So, um, you know, I was a little ticked, honestly, you know, between you and me. Okay. I felt like I should have been a first round pick. You know, uh, matter of fact, it was funny because the Atlanta Hawks, I think they had picked 19 or 20 or something sitting right there. I mean, I was, they'd had me right in their backyard and they punted and passed on me. Oh, and it's man. funny because Dominique Wilkins is a good friend of mine. And every time I see him, he just like starts going crazy. Like, I cannot believe they passed on you. You know, it would have been so great to play together. But uh, so I was a little disappointed that the Hawks didn't take me at like 20. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching these guys, different guys that I played against. And I won't throw names out because I don't want to, you know, for, right, right. hurt anybody's feelings. But a bunch of dudes that I, uh, I just knew I was better than were getting picked ahead of me. And uh, the biggest reason, just like my whole career and my whole basketball life, um, I just didn't pass the eye test, I guess. You know, they couldn't get past what I looked like. I mean, I was 5'11", 175 pounds. Although I kind of dominated the ACC for four years, you know, that's still, you know, and all the guys that I kind of outplayed in college were getting drafted ahead of me. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and so I'm, you know, I'm not claiming to be a, you know, a brain surgeon by any means here, but I, you know, just doing the math, I was like, okay, I'm better than them in college, but I'm not going to be better than them in the NBA. Right. It didn't, it didn't compute to me, but a lot of the NBA back then just kind of, I don't know. I reminded them, I guess, too much of guys like Kyle Macy or John Sunbold. And, and what I think a lot of people didn't understand was that I was a lot 
faster, quicker. I, I had a lot more to my game than those guys did. Those guys were great shooters and I was a good shooter and a great shooter as well. But I had so much more to my game that, uh, that I think everybody missed on uh, for some reason, except the Cavs. I mean, yeah. and it's funny because they had uh, really worked it uh, to get me. They loved me. They were going to, I know Wayne Embry, who was coming over to the Cavs at the time from Indiana. And I know Wayne took a lot of flack because Indiana wanted me at, you know, like 26 or wherever their pick was going to be. And Wayne obviously knew that. And so somehow when he got to Cleveland, he worked a deal and got me uh, and traded me for a hundred grand to the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> and, really? Uh, so there weren't, there weren't players involved. There wasn't a player to be named later. There, was, there wasn't picks. It was a hundred grand mark. Is that right? Yeah, that shows you what everybody thought of me coming out. Wow. <laughs> coming out wow. Of and so, uh, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma for the, for those, you know, people that really know my background. And so I was kind of, I was kind of jacked because Dallas was about the closest place to, to Oklahoma. And so I was like, okay, the Mavs, that's kind of cool. And then 30 minutes later, I get a call from my agent. He goes, uh, don't worry about Dallas. You're not going to Dallas. You're going to Cleveland. You just got traded. And uh, I laugh and I told this story many times and uh, I literally pulled out my, my uh, United States map to try to find out where Cleveland was. That's, that's how much on the radar they were for me at the time. Of course, the franchise at that point in time was not in real, real good shape. But, uh, you know, the start over with Wayne Embry, Lenny Wilkins, and then that 86 draft was what turned everything around. So, and I want to get to the 86 draft because it was it was important for Cleveland, um, as you know, obviously, as you know. Uh, but for those of us that were fans, the 86 draft changed everything. I think for the entire the entire Cavaliers organization, it changed everything. But um, and I apologize, my microphone in my headset just went out. So hopefully this is going to still uh, play well. But um, so so how different gosh there's there i literally have pages of questions for you how different is was it now today when you watch the nba draft i mean you got the green room you got tnt you got tbs you have all these channels and you have all this espn coverage and you have social media and all this stuff like how different was it for you in in 1986 where were you when you found out you got drafted by the dallas mavericks and then traded to the cleveland cavaliers like where were you were you it at the draft or were you just at home waiting on a call or what? No, I was actually in my living room at my house. I grew up in in Enid, Oklahoma, uh, with my family, just watching the draft on TV, like everybody else. It wasn't, uh, it was a different era back then. We didn't have, right. you know, okay, this team call, you know, it's, you just kind of didn't know what was going on. Um, so I'm sitting there watching, like I said, I'm watching guys go at, 1920 my name still hasn't been called and I'm sitting there getting a little ticked off inside uh you know just going what's what's going on and so I I actually go <laughs> go up to uh leave right at the end of the first rounds over and uh I go to use the restroom and I come back and <laughs> my family goes well you just got drafted <laughs> Is that right? oh, on so did they find out on tv Mark is that how that yeah, yeah I found out on oh, tv yeah. Didn't get a phone call, didn't get anything. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was different, but uh, that was my uh, that was my draft day experience. You know, I didn't have five cameras from ESPN, <laughs> you know, 
sitting in my living room with me or anything like that. So, uh, you know, just kind of a, just watching the draft like everybody else. And there's, again, there's so many questions I have for you because I know you've coached, you've, uh, and again, my microphone and headset are back now, so whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, it's so fitting that this would happen. Welcome to Unscripted. Um, so unbelievable that, that so it was just such a different time. And I think I have a question for you later with, with coaching college and, you know, just the transition you've seen. You and I both have kids that have now played and, and you know, been recruited and, and obviously yours have a little bigger name, bigger name than mine. Um, but at the same time, like you've been through that. So let's get to that in a minute. But but um, all right. So 1986 happens. Um, before we get to that, let me let me put a pin in that really quick, because you and I shared some emails and I wanted to share with you a story. I literally somewhere in my basement, I have a shoebox uh that has a xerox copy of an article from your time at georgia tech um do you i'm sure you remember this article because it was written on you it was an article from sports illustrated about you and, and a guy named bruce dalrymple who was your your teammate at the time you also played with john sally who played in the nba y'all had a great georgia tech basketball team at the time but i i copied that because I was trying to figure out who this guy Mark Price is, and I was just getting to understand. And people who heard the introduction know my story and connection to you as far as my fandom of you. Um, but that article always struck me because it was talking about two different sides of the tracks. And it was talking about how Bruce was on, you know, a completely different trajectory, life, all those things, and your life are very different. Do you uh, do you remember the article? And I, I'm sure you do. Yeah, you, it, was, you, uh, right? it really was. It really was a cool, cool article that that Sports Illustrated did. We uh, it was going into my senior year, uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, we had kind of similar to what happened in '86 when I went with the Cavs, a total rebuild thing. I mean, Georgia Tech basketball was was terrible uh, mm -hmm. when John Sally and I showed up in uh, 1982, and then. Three years later, we win the ACC championship, and we've added these players, Dalrymple, uh, Dwayne Farrell, who uh, played in the NBA for a long time as well. Uh, and so we go into my senior year, preseason ranked number one in the country. And so we were getting all this attention, and Sports Illustrated called, and Bruce and I were considered one of the best backcourts in the nation at that time. And uh, Bruce was from New York City. Uh, you know, he was a city kid. And I was from Enid, Oklahoma, this country kid, and they, they had this idea, you know, the opposite sides of the track kind of deal. And, right. and it was a really pretty cool article, just kind of showed, our, kind of, even though we came from dramatically different backgrounds and our life experiences, yet we, uh, we had this chemistry together on the court uh, while we were in school that was just amazing. And so it was, it was really, really a neat article. And it, I would encourage people if you can find it archived anywhere to, to read it because it was really well done and and uh, really got a sense of uh, you know it was uh, uh, you know two guys that were totally different and yet we were able to you know come together and be uh, one of the best backcourt what I felt was the best backcourt in college at that time. And I love that article because it literally that was what connected me to you because there's a picture if I remember correctly like I said I have the Xerox copy in my basement somewhere. Um, there's a picture of you and I believe it's your family and they're standing on a platform in a, a church somewhere singing. And I'm yeah. like, man, this guy, like I was just personally, I was just becoming a, a child of faith. So, so you and I are, are a few years separated. I was just understanding my faith journey and, and becoming a Christian 
And I'm like, here's this guy that, that kind of looks a little, we don't look anything alike now, <laughs> but, but at the time, you know, at the time I was looking for heroes and, and, um, I, when I looked to you, I said, this is a guy that can, that can be a hero of mine. He's a Christian. He loves basketball. Uh, he's really good. And, and there's this article that just tells me about where he kind of grew up and who he is. So um, let, let's start with that, because I think the foundation of your faith is going to be important as we walk through everything else. So let's talk about your faith a little bit. And I appreciate so much that when I reached out to you and we talked about this, um, you said, hey, my, you know, I definitely want to talk, you know, about my faith. So can you share just your faith journey? Where did it start? Um, because I think it, it's the foundation of who you are. You, you mentioned it, your, your, you know, um, uh, speech with the, uh, when they, when they retired your Jersey, you said that, like, I just watched it again today. There's very little that you said, but what you did say was about your faith. So can we talk about your faith? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I was blessed to, uh, to have two Christian parents and, and I was raised in, raised in the church. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it was, uh, I was one of those kids. I mean, we were in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, my family also sang, you know, I had two brothers, my dad, we sang gospel music. Uh, my mom was a piano player and she played piano for us. And so we sang at church. I, I grew up, it was just music was, uh, was just a, part, a big part of our family as well as basketball. And my dad was a coach as well. And, and so basketball and music and the church uh, was just, that was my life uh, background growing up. And, uh, and even though I was in the church all the way growing up, it wasn't until, you know, my teenage years uh, that I really began to seriously kind of consider my faith and, and, and where that was at. And I think people that have grown up in a Christian home can understand this. Other people may, maybe not so much, but I think sometimes when you grow up and that's it's just something that you do as a family. Sometimes your own personal relationship with God can kind of get lost in that because it's just kind of, oh, I'm part of the family. This is what we believe, blah, blah, blah. But I began to really study God's word more and more as I got into my teenage years. And I began to realize that I wasn't so sure that my faith was, was my, my personal faith and, and trust in Christ. And so really at the age of 17 is when I cemented that and just, you know, put my faith in fully and in, in, in trust in Jesus Christ who, who died for my sins and, and gave my heart to him. And, uh, and so that's when, you know, it really kind of my faith really took off. And even though I always believed in God, and like I said, grew up in church, it wasn't until, until those teenage years that I was like, you know, really understood what it meant to have a personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, it really changed everything in, in my mind, my heart. It, and for those that have, have had that experience of, of putting their faith, faith in Christ, understand that. And, you know, up until that point in my life, really, you know, I tell people this basketball was really the God of my life. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, I thought, man, if I can ever get good enough to go to college and get a scholarship and, you know, then, then that, that's going to be it. And, you know, but you know, as I began to start having those successes, you know, in basketball at an early age, and you know, even going into high school and being one of the top players in the state and all this other stuff, starting to be recruited by schools. Um, I still felt like there was something, you know, something missing, you know, I mean, to, to, I had to go out and play well or win a game to get that feeling again. And that's when I really started searching for what, what the real, <laughs> real meaning of life is all about. And so when I did put my faith and trust in Christ, 
I mean, I gave him my basketball, I gave him my whole life and uh, do with it what you will, you know, to, to the Lord. And even if that means taking it away, which, you know, I mean, I was that serious about, about my faith. And, uh, but it was amazing because, I mean, God just, it, it just shot, my, my game just took off uh, to a whole, to a whole nother level. And, and I know from being a child of faith that, I mean, the reason that was happening wasn't for me, it was for his purpose. Yeah. Because I had a story to tell. And by being a good basketball player, people would ask me to come talk or come speak. And I would be able to share my faith and people would listen because, you know, I was such a unique story in the fact of just, like I said, I never passed the eye test. It's, I mean, even to this day, when I meet people, they just, I thought you'd be bigger, you know, or, <laughs> or whatever. Right. And, and right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm taller than you. I could have been an NBA player, you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. I get that a lot, but it was like, I think, you know, and you read all through the scriptures and it's God doesn't use the, the obvious people to, to make a difference uh, because it's about him and sharing his glory. And, and I mean, if I'd have been seven feet and could jump 40 inches, I mean, people would say, well, he's, how's he doing that? You know, say, well, he should be good. He's seven feet, 40 is vertical leap, but they're like, this dude's 5'11", 175 pounds. He shouldn't be able to do what he's doing out there. And, and then, then they, how can you, and then I get an opportunity to really share my story. And, and, uh, and so I, you know, I, I have no doubt that, that my success and, you know, was, was way more about what God wanted to do with my life than, than any plans that I could have made for myself. This is going to be over the top, but, but I feel like you're a modern day, David, you were a modern day, David in the eighties and nineties, you know, David, David didn't have, you, you know, you and I are both people of faith. I mean, David, David was a guy that they overlooked and he went out and slayed Goliath. Um, you know, and, and I think that's what people love about you, Mark. Honestly, that's, that's what I myself love about you. You were six foot, you know, 100, whatever pounds. And you were all of us. Uh, you were the kid in the driveway. You were the kid that was just getting started. Um, I think that's what Cleveland, and I know you, you mentioned this as well in your retirement speech or the, uh, the celebration, um, you know, Cleveland works really hard. And I think they appreciated a guy that wasn't just didn't roll out of bed and was just blessed. He worked really, really hard. And, and so I think what I want to say in all that is that God absolutely used all of your story uh, for guys like myself in Cleveland that looked at you and said, this is who I want to become. This is um, because it, it taught us hard work. It taught us faith. It taught us the fact that faith is hard, you know, and, and you're not always going to be whoever you're sometimes you're David and you got to go out and you got to slay Goliath. Um, and so let, let me take that. Well, let's start, let's start with another thing, 1986 draft. And I don't want to transition because I think we're going to, we're going to thread this faith conversation throughout everything we talk about today. I think, um, the 1986 thing happens. You, so that draft, you, Doherty, uh, Harper, uh, hot rods in the wings, Johnny Newman, right. Is that, is that all, is that everybody? Yep. That's right. Of course so we, got Elo, we got Elo later in that year, right. uh, was added to that as well. But that's, that's another story when, when I had an appendix taken out. So 
that was another that was another God story that brought, ended up bringing a guy in uh, <laughs> during that time that, that we ended up becoming best friends. I was going to say he's a brother of yours, right? So, so yeah. you guys went went arm in arm in this, but the 1986 draft changed the culture and complete landscape for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, that's I think right about the time that I picked up watching the Cavaliers, and uh, you and I you and I exchanged some email. So Ron Harper. In, in, I just got to mention this in 1987. I, I don't know. Some, at some point during his rookie year, he steals the ball from Barkley. And, and I wish this was on YouTube. I swear I've searched it. I tried to tell my son about it. I have a VH tap, tape in my basement. I don't even know if I try to play it, it probably break because it's so old, but I have a VH tape, VHS tap, tape of Ron Harper stealing the ball from Charles Barkley after a rebound, doing a 360 over Dr. J. That was, was, do you remember that number one? And second of all, was it the most incredible layup you've ever seen in your life? Well, it was definitely one of them for sure. But, you know, I would, I would say it shocked me, but Ron would do stuff like that every day in practice. I mean, he was just, uh, he was just a very, very talented, very unique uh, player. Uh, I love playing with him. I'm like, you know, I was, you know, one of those that just was heartbroken when, when uh, they traded him and, and left. we were just, our games fit so well together. And, and uh, you know, he even still, you know, Ron tells people, I mean, he won championships with the Bulls and the Lakers and, you know, whoever else he played with, but he'll, he'll flat out tell people his favorite team was, was the Cavs team that, that came in together there. We just, uh, we had something special going on. Mm-hmm. I just uh, hey, we weren't able to finish finish it off. And no disrespect to Danny Ferry. I'm a Carolina guy, uh, but I literally, so I had a little keychain. I don't know if you remember back when the days when they had these little um, keychains of guys with uniforms on, and it was like calves and whatever, and we'd all wear them in college, and they hung out of our pocket and whatever else. Anyway, I had one, and I threw it across the room the day they traded Ron Harper because I was <laughs> so mad. Um, I loved Ron Harper. No, no disrespect to Danny Ferry, but but you you and Danny Ferry ended up being very good friends. In in fairness, uh, you yeah. all became very good friends. Yeah, I mean Danny Danny was uh, you know and all. I mean, Danny was a very hard worker. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we became close while we were teammates. But, I mean, the bottom line was he wasn't Ron Harper. And, and right. uh, you know, it was, it was a tough situation for everybody. Yeah. You know, it was tough for Danny. A lot of people want to blame whatever. I mean, it wasn't Danny's fault. I mean, right. he, he got put in that situation. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it, it was a mistake. Uh, by you know, I think most the people that that made that probably look back and say it was a mistake. But mm-hmm. at the time, you know, they were hoping maybe Danny was the, the next Larry Bird or whatever. Uh, but we already had those three big guys already, and I felt like it was kind of crowded. And and I think Danny really wasn't able to transition to like a three, you know, a yeah. three spot that I think they initially thought maybe he could be a three man, in, in, aka Bird style. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just didn't work out. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I said, I, I did my best while, while Danny was there to keep his head up and, and things because it, it, it got it was rough on him at times, the fans and, and other things, uh, the expectations and uh, the contract that he got all those things, you know, how, how uh, professional sports work, right? And, uh, you know, it was it was unfortunate. But uh, through that, I felt like Danny handled it as, as well as you possibly could. He continued to work hard every day and, 
and to do his best for the Cavs. And I think he transitioned well. I mean, it was a date, you know, a date and time. Now today's Danny Ferry would probably transition very well to the NBA, honestly, you know, with the three point shooting um, bigs, but you know, Danny wasn't that kind of player. So um, anyway, I, the 86 draft changed the landscape for the Cavaliers. You changed the landscape and, and, and all of a sudden the Cavaliers became a force in the NBA. Um, I think, Honestly, and I think at some point we're going to here in a minute, we're going to talk about, you know, a moment that I think most Cavaliers will always remember with heartbreak. But um, I think, you know, you all look at the end of the day, you became a very good team. And it was so the chemistry of that team. I think you always missed a small forward. If you always had a three, there was that was the missing piece was no disrespect to, you know, the guys that they tried to plug in. But you had your point guard, you had your guard, you had your center, you had your forward, you had hot rod off the bench. You guys were really, man, that team was stacked. Um, but you know, it was, then we came across the bad boys and things like that. So, um, let's transition because I think the best year you guys ever had was against, unfortunately was when the shot happened, right? A lot of people ask me, Hey, you got to ask them about the shot. I, I think we could take a different at let, let's not talk about the shot. I, you know, the shot happened. It broke all of our hearts. I'm sure it broke your hearts as a man of faith. The shot happens. It broke all of our hearts. I, I assume at some point you turn to your faith for healing. Cause you know, at the end of the day, you let me ask you this Mark first, did you guys, do you believe if you would have, if the shot doesn't happen, let's say Michael Jordan misses. Do you guys, do you think you would have won the championship that year? And that's a, that's a tough question because there's still the playoffs, but do you think you, I mean, you were the best team in basketball. There was no other team like the Cleveland Cavaliers in that year. Well, you know, I, I have a little bit different take on the shot. You know, everybody wants to, like you said, focus on the shot. I, and that's, that's obviously a disappointing moment, mm -hmm. but Michael Jordan was obviously a, great player and great players make great shots in situations. My, my disappointment in, in that hole was we were so much of a better team than Chicago. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, and six during the regular season. Mark. Yeah, that's right. They, we beat them six times pretty six times. handily, pretty handily during the regular season. And we weren't healthy going into that. I mean, I had to sit out the last game of the season that year because of a, a bad hamstring and to the point where, they didn't feel like it was best interest for me to play in game one of that series. And, and they took that game from us, you know, a lot of it because I, I didn't play. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I'm kind of dragging my leg through the rest of the series. Larry wasn't super healthy. We just had a lot of kind of injury issues there that, that uh, kind of kept us from, from being who we were, but even still, you know, we're down two one going to Chicago stadium. Uh, for game four yeah. and we got we got to win that game or, or it's over and we do uh, mm -hmm. I mean as banged up as we were we go into Chicago Stadium win game four and bring it back to Cleveland and and you know the way I look at it I mean it's banged up and I mean it's I mean they still had to have hit a miracle shot to beat us uh, that's yeah. that's how that's how good we were and yeah. and so my disappointment you know more than anything is that it would ju we just Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Sports are easy to disagree on. Let's see what happens when sports talk hosts talk about something they agree on. Hold on. I'm saying drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Well, I disagree. I think drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. (laughs) Come on. Wait, I think we're saying the same thing. Oh, so uh, what do we do now? Everyone agrees that drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2020 and May 2021. Potential savings will vary. You know, had really bad luck with with injuries, timing of that. And uh, so much of the time, the thing that hurt us more than anything else is we just weren't healthy uh, when we needed to be healthy and, uh, and weren't able to show our best uh, when we needed it because of that. So, uh, you know, but I mean, I still look back at those series with fond affection. I mean, those series were just phenomenal. I mm-hmm. mean, every, t- every game seemed to go down to the wire. I mean, right. it was just like two heavyweights battling it out. I mean, it was, uh, so, you know, through it all, I think we get slighted quite a bit. I don't think people, because we lost those games or weren't able to get past Chicago. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think we don't really get to do that, that that team deserves. Cause we were really, really good. And trust me, nobody, nobody wanted to play us. <laughs> yeah. I could tell you the city of Cleveland, um, and I, 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 I never, I literally can't believe I'm going to correct one of my heroes, but I, I'll tell you the city of Cleveland absolutely will never forget how good those teams were. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I speak for everybody in the city of Cleveland when we say we know how good those teams were. They were so good. And if you know basketball and you go back and watch, those teams were built perfectly for the NBA at that time yourself splitting the double teams you had two bigs you had shot blockers you had shooters it those teams were designed and built perfectly for that run and it just you know the you mentioned injuries you know another year was it the next year or the year before that when you got a I think you got a didn't you get a concussion from Rick Mahorn yeah yeah that that you know what that knocked you guys off course without you were the engine you know, and I think you mentioned this a little bit. You set out game one. You were the engine that made the Cavaliers run. I don't even know at that point who your backups were. I don't know that well enough because I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But I do know that you were the engine that fed Doherty, that fed Nance, that fed Hot Rod off the bench. Like, without you running the show as a point guard, those Cavalier teams did not work. And so, you know, most people knew if, if they could take out Mark Price or, you know, again concussion from rick mahorn now the cavaliers are not running like they should and again i i that's no disrespect to whoever your backup was at the time it really isn't it's true um i think somebody showed me a stat one time and it might i can't remember where i saw it but someone said like while during my time with the Cavs, when when i played we won like 60 to 70 percent of our games Mm -hmm. when i didn't play we won like 30% of them. And so, uh, you know, I guess however you add up impact or, you know, I know everybody's into analytics and, and all right. this, but, but to me, that's as big an analytic as you can get. Uh, when this guy plays, they win. When he doesn't play, they lose. Pretty simple, uh, right? You know, and, uh, you know, that's just 
was kind of the way I looked at things. Uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm not overly complicated, but uh, more than anything else, I was just one. I was about winning, and mm -hmm. uh, that's all I really cared about. All those guys with those Cavs teams, Larry, Brad, Hot Rod, Craig, Ron. I mean, when he was with us, I mean, each and every one of us. I mean, we went into each and every game not thinking, okay, can I get my 30 points or whatever. Right. It was like, where do we have the advantage? Larry's got the advantage tonight. We're going to feed Larry. His guy can't guard him. And so Larry, it, it was Larry's night to have 25-30. And, and we were all just happy and fine with that because we were just about winning. And so – and we just all understood because, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. You oh, know? yeah, absolutely. And if, you're, and if you're winning, like – and I tell people all the time, I mean, you know, two or three times while I was there, we had two – at least two or three guys named – to the all-star team and that's right. and and none of us were you know that was not the fan vote either mm -hmm. that was the other coaches voting the reserves which to me meant more because they were like these guys need to be on the all-star team but it was because we were winning and it, you know that doesn't happen and i hear people talking about you know the current cab situation a lot or things like that and mm -hmm. They got the was it the All Star game in Cleveland this year or something like that. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. But uh, they're like, well, Colin Sexton or whatever. They need to get to. And I'm like, well, if they want to get to the All Star game. They need to start winning. <laughs> right. Right. You know, because it's like that's just that's just the way it is. And and so, uh, but so much today, and that's a subject for another time. Is you get the cart before the horse situation. So many times, guys are out trying to get the individual stuff rather than focusing in on, Hey, you know, we, we gotta be about winning. That's mm -hmm. what, we're, that's what we're being paid to do here as yeah. professional basketball players. And uh, how can we come together as a group and do that? And it was, I just can't say it enough. It was the perfect mix, you know, as, as someone who's now watched basketball for, because of your, someone like yourself who became my hero, um, I've watched basketball now for years and that team was just so good. It, that's what's so hard. I think as a Cleveland fan is we know how good that team was and Clevelanders always wanted a hero, uh, you know, and, and you became one of those heroes. But um, I think that team, we look at it and we say they were so good and they were, they were good guys. And I think that's the difference because I think the next era that came along was the bad boys. And then, you know, we've gone where we've gone from there. No disrespect to Detroit, but um, you guys were the good guys. Like you were good guys, Brad Doherty, Larry Nitt, just good guys, the kind of guys you want your kids to look up to. And then, you know, and then, and then the bad boys came in and it was fighting and it was, you know, rough and it was, and then the, the league became very physical. Um, let me ask you this because the league did become very physical and changed in today's NBA. How much do you think you would average? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's who knows, but right, it would have been a lot more a than lot. I play. Right, it's, it's just, I mean, it's a different league. It's funny, I, I I tell people all the time they start asking me how I enjoy the game now, and and two times while I played, I led the league in three point attempts per game at five. Right, think about that. I led the league, five attempts, three-point attempts per game, led the league. And now Curry's taking, what, 30 a game? That's like 20? a first quarter. That's like a first quarter stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Exactly. I'm 
I'm like, if, uh, if Steph hasn't gotten up five in the first quarter, he's upset probably, you know? So, right. right. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's different, uh, for sure. The game obviously is, is changed and it, it does that, but people ask me about it all the time. And I was a three point shooter, but honestly, sometimes I get a little bored watching the games right now because I'm mean, yeah. jacking up 93s a game between yeah. the two teams and, I don't know. I just kind of missed the all-round game. I, I was blessed, so blessed to play in an era that just had so many fantastic big men. I mean, yes. every, it seemed like every team in the league, particularly in the East, just had an all-star. Like, you throw it in, he's scoring if you don't double-team. You know right. what I mean? Right, right. It was a big-man era. Yeah, it was a big-man era, and so there was so much more inside-out, outside-in, you know, the pick-and-roll stuff, rolling to the basket – Stuff you just don't see hardly at all today. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I miss that. Just, mm -hmm. just that kind of the all-round all round game. And I, I tell people all the time, if I was in charge of the basketball universe, mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't see a three-point line until probably the, your second or third year in college because right. I, just, I just think it stunts the development of these kids today because that's, and I speak from experience because I, I – <laughs> you know, I hold basketball camps and things like that. And I, and I, I walk in the first day of camp and literally you, you'd think there was like, a, you know, a disease or something inside, inside the, the paint, inside the three point line, because every <laughs> kid is outside the three, just jacking right. them up. Right. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm notorious for my first day speech being when I walk in here tomorrow, I better see some some one-handed shots under the basket, getting yes. warmed up, learning how to shoot the ball and, and say, we'll get to the three-point line. But, uh, I mean, I just, I just grew up. I never had a three-point line until, uh, you know, we experimented in college one year. That's it. So, right. you know, when I was developing my game, I was if I was open from 10 feet, I took that shot. If I was open yeah. from 8 feet or, you know, the floaters, that's how I learned all those shots. And then, you know, if I was open from 25, I would shoot it. So, it wasn't – I wasn't constantly like my head on a swivel. Where's the three point line? I mean, right. right. You no. Know, and, uh, and so I just think it's, uh, it's really hurt some of the development of, of guys now, because I mean, it's pretty much layup three or a free throw. That's all you, right. <laughs> that's, all you that's all you see. So, uh, you know, whenever well, I see a guy get creative and shoot a mid range shot, I kind of get more excited about that than anything. <laughs> You know, Mark, I think you and I are the old guys in the front yard yelling at the cloud because I, I agree. I agree with you, my friend. I, I do. I agree with you. I grew up in an era of watching you, watching Cavaliers basketball, watching Dean Smith and UNC basketball. And, and Dean Smith, up until Roy Williams retired last year, I think this year Hubert Davis is going to take Carolina basketball in a different direction. But but up until even last year, Roy Williams is you, you and I – and that belief that you play through the bigs, you play through the bigs, the big goes down, he gets on the block, you feed the big, he kicks it out. But, you know, the game has changed and you and I can probably literally talk all day about how that's, that's the era I grew up watching. That's the basketball I love is people like yourself driving, kicking it into a big or, you know, coming down a bigs on the post, you kick it in, you find your spot. He kicks it back out to you. Now you hit your three. You don't just jack up a three at half court of the logo because you can. And, and anyway, <laughs> a completely different rant, but I'm with you. I'm with you because I watched you play and I watched North Carolina basketball. Those are the two things 
that taught me how to play basketball was Dean Smith and his system and, um, and you and, and the Cavs, you know, listening to Joe Tate on AM radio. So, um, literally, I think we could probably talk about that all day, but that being said, um, let's transition again. If you don't mind, you have kids and, and the kids have now become, they're in the recruiting process. One of them played at my favorite North Carolina, uh, tennis. Right. And then I just found out today, I'm not gonna lie. I was doing my homework and one of them, uh, played at Liberty. So my daughter wants to go to Liberty and I was down there. What a gorgeous campus that is. Liberty's gorgeous. I mean, great school and a beautiful campus. And, and uh, yeah, so where are the kids? Well, I have four. All right. uh, my oldest two are, are girls. My oldest daughter uh, lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, she's married. Um, she's really my only one. My first one who she played some volleyball and stuff in high school, but she was, uh, she was my bookworm. And, uh, you know, uh, became a writer and, and, uh, and so she's, she's married, living in Asheville, North Carolina. And then Caroline, my second daughter, who just got married a couple years ago, uh, she did play tennis at North Carolina and won a couple national championships there. They, uh, she was a very, very good tennis player, one of the top recruited players in the country when she was coming out of high school. But uh, uh, she, she had a great career there and now she teaches tennis and, uh, and, and does those sort of things uh, as well. And, and then uh, my older son, Hudson, uh, played college basketball. He's played his first two years at TCU. Uh, and he's about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, I wish I'd have had that size. <laughs> That's right. What would Michael Jordan say? The mailman was 6'6"? Six, six? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he used to say when they asked how tall he was. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead, Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah. He, he played at TCU for two years, and then he came and played his last two years for me when I was coaching at uh, Charlotte. Right. And so that was, a, that was a really neat time for us to get to spend together. And then my youngest, uh, like you mentioned, he, uh, he's been at Liberty the last three years, and he gra actually graduated in three years. And uh, due to COVID things and different situations, he's had a couple years eligibility left. And he's like, well, might as well get my master's and go play ball somewhere. So he's, uh, he's playing a division two school that, uh, while he gets his master's over the next couple of years, uh, Trevecca Nazarene Absolutely. Uh, there in, uh, in Nashville. And mm -hmm. uh, Nashville's a really cool place. So I think he's going to enjoy, enjoy these next couple of years, uh, just enjoy playing hoops and and uh, getting getting more education, but uh, but they're all gone. They're all out of the house now. And although they come through, and you know, different uh, transition times, we might have might have one of them living in the basement or so here and there. <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, we're empty nesters, and we're enjoying that. Uh, you know, enjoying getting to do some things we wanted to do and haven't had time to do. And it's it's a good time of life, and uh, you know chase the kids around and follow them and do what we can. So um, we're blessed. Uh, four great kids. Uh, we love them to death. And, uh, you know, God's been good to us. He has. And, and I think we've always, again, we're all fans. Uh, I think that's the beauty of Cleveland is when you play for any Cleveland team, you, you become a part of us as a part of Cleveland. I think Cleveland's unique. Um, and most cities will probably say that about their city, but I think Cleveland's very special as you would probably agree 
when you play there, you become a part of our family. You, you know, the, the price family there, you know, they're a part of our family and we watch you all. And, uh, I've loved your, your adoration of your bride and, and your kids and, uh, all those things. And I follow you on social media and you guys are fun to, to, to follow along and see what's happening. My son plays for Mount Vernon Nazarene. So I'm very familiar with Treveca Nazarene as well, but, um, all right. So, uh, really quick, let me, let me touch on one thing. And you've been so gracious, man. We're already, I can't believe how fast the time's flying. I could talk to you for hours, Mark. Um, let me ask you one thing. You, you transitioned to college for just a, just a minute. You had a cup of coffee in college. Uh, how different was it for you? We just had a conversation about bigs and the game and the changing of the game. And, you know, you grew up in a time when there wasn't social media, you weren't, you didn't post a four panel when you said, I'm going to attend the, you know, Georgia Tech and like how how hard was it for you I I know if I was in your seat which I'm clearly not (laughs) but if I was it would be really hard for me to transition to a coaching role um in in today's basketball like I I would want bigs I I I wouldn't want to be distracted by kids post and whether or not they visited and if they had this shoe and if they had this arena. Right. So I, how, I, when you transitioned to college, how hard was that for you? And what, like, or was it, was it a pretty smooth transition for you? Well, um, you know, I would, I'd been at the pro level coaching for quite a while and that opportunity came up uh, to be a head coach and I was really excited about it and the opportunity to, to work with young, young people and, and young players. But uh, there was definitely you know, you could definitely with the whole social media thing, the stuff that goes on now, it, 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 it's a different world. And mm-hmm. in fact, and I've always big and I always felt like one of my strengths, the thing that allowed me to be successful during my playing careers was that I was super focused mm-hmm. on, on what I needed to do. Uh, maybe because I had to work harder than everybody else. I didn't have a lot of the natural gifts uh, that maybe other guys had. So for me to be successful I had to be really focused I had to be really uh you know limit the distractions in my life uh so that I could accomplish what I needed to accomplish and and I just feel like we live in a time now it doesn't matter whether you're an NBA player or a college player <coughs> excuse me <coughs> sorry about that you're good <laughs> but um you know with the internet and social media and I mean there's just so many distractions yeah it uh I think it's hard for kids to focus these days. At mm-hmm. least it seems that way to me. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, you have time for rapid fire? Yeah, sure. All right. I have five, five rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the rule on unscripted is if there's ever a question I ask you and you, you don't want to answer it, you just say pass and everybody understands. Okay. All right. Number one, biggest shot you ever made in your life. Mm. That's a good question. I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. I, I, First know, one that came to mind. Biggest shot I made in my life. Probably my first NBA basket. <laughs> and and where, who, who was that against? I don't even remember, but I know it would have been, <laughs> been the biggest shot because I'm like, I'm in the NBA. And You're I in the scored. NBA. You made this show. You made it to the show, kid. You made it to, made the, it show. to the show. And I just made the show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. As a second round draft pick, take that everybody else. All right. Uh, number two, if, uh, if the shot misses, I think I already asked you this. If the shot misses, do you guys think you win the champion? Do you think you win the championship? Let's all right. Let, so let's just play fun. You said there was a lot of injuries and I'm think, I, you know what, Mark, I don't think a lot of people even knew that. I didn't know that. 
I just know I watched a five game series and couldn't believe that Michael Jordan, a team that you guys were six and zero against during the season. And I love Michael Jordan, but come on at the end of the day, how did that happen? Well, now I think I, now the truth can be told there was injuries. So, all right, no injuries, six and zero versus chip. If the shot misses, do you guys win the championship? You think? I think we got a really good chance. Absolutely. So many different things that can happen. Sure. I mean, right. You got and I said, you got to be good. You also got to have, have things go your way. But, I mean, we we were good. Let's just put it this way. We were definitely good enough to win it. 100%. Richfield Coliseum or Gundarina? Now Rocket Mortgage, whatever it's called. Uh, for me, Richfield. Just so good. I played most of my career there. It was just yeah. such a home court advantage. I mean, yeah. the other teams hated playing there. Uh, yeah which I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, but right. We, we loved, we loved playing there. It was such yeah. a great, uh, I mean, it got loud. I mean, you know, it was, for me, it was Richfield. Uh, many a game at Richfield Coliseum. I loved, I love the ins, the access, the, how you could, how easily you could get home. Anyway, Richfield was fantastic. Um, ha, at any point in your NBA career, did you ever drive a minivan? <laughs> no. Practice. No. Okay. <laughs> I did. I had a Suburban though. All right. All right. So big enough, right? I had to have a big enough car for four kids. <laughs> for your kids. Okay. Yeah, I just, uh, I just, in my, in I my vowed, mind, I vowed I would never have a minivan. So I just skipped <laughs> it and went to the Suburban. I, I don't even know if they had minivans in that, in oh, those they years. Did they? Okay. All right. Cause I just, in my mind, when I was putting out questions, I'm thinking I'd love to see Mark Price driving a minivan. I really would. <laughs> On his way to practice. Uh, all right. Um, if you could, this is going to be a tough one now. Uh, today's NBA is about super teams. And, and I'm not, this isn't about any player. We're not, you know, whatever. If you could have in your time in the NBA and, you know, the culture being what it is today, if you could have made a super team and, and you had, all right, I'm going to meet up with X player and Y player, who would those two players have been to create a super team for you? Again, this is hypothetical. This again, no, no judgment on current today's current NBA. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I felt like I played on a super team. I agree with you, man. I do. I, <laughs> really I, do. I, I wouldn't want. I, I just wouldn't want to play with anybody else than the guys. Brad, Larry, that's my super team. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because as I was writing the question, Mark, I honestly thought, gosh. I think he had a super team. We had a super team in Cleveland. You really did. Um, it just, you know, it just didn't happen, unfortunately, because factors, right? Yep. Man. So where are you today? That's the last question I have for you. And I promise we're going to wrap. What's, where are you today? Uh, my wife and I just moved back to the Georgia area, uh, north of Atlanta. And uh, for family reasons, her parents, and uh, we have one of our daughters living in this area. Well, you know, two of our kids are living here now. So um, just trying to get situated, settled. Um, I'm, uh, you know, transitioning. I'm uh, trying to uh, retirement a little bit these last couple of years with the craziness of all that's happening around us. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying playing a lot more golf than I've uh, ever had, gotten the opportunity to play, trying to enjoy life a little bit, but uh, just do some things. Uh, my wife and I traveling some and doing some things that I haven't got to do in a long time or had the time to do. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, you know, people ask me if I get back in coaching, if the right opportunity presented itself, obviously I love the game. I uh, feel like I have a lot to, to give back to the game, but uh, you know, I'm not, 
chasing after anything yeah. uh, right now. If that's something God wants me to do, he's always provided for me in the past and he'll uh, provide that opportunity. But right now I'm happy, enjoying life, uh, getting to do uh, spend time with my family and, and friends and, and uh, do a lot of things that I've uh, haven't had the time to do. What I love, Mark, is I think you're, you're, you're getting to do what you, you know, the things that are most important to you and that's family and your faith and your time. And, and I know we've talked about your faith a lot in this. Um, but I, I really want people to hear and, and understand that your faith is number one in your family. Uh, it's number one for you. And if not go ahead and, and I'll probably put it in my post as well, but, but go back and watch the, um, um, Jersey retirement ceremony in Cleveland. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you could have said in that moment. And the thing that you talked about was your faith. And I appreciate that as a guy, uh, looking for heroes, you know, um, you, you were my hero. And I've told you that a few times now. And I've also told you, thank you a bazillion times. I'm going to tell you a bazillion one. Thank you again. I, I have one thing I, I wrote this down because I want to make sure I get it right. Um, let me, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, and I don't even, honestly, I don't feel equipped um, to be the guy to say this, but let me, let me say this um, as we close. I think I speak for the city of Cleveland when I say thank you. Um, I speak for players that had a dream when I say thank you. Um, I want to speak for the kids in their driveway wearing that Mark Price jersey in Cleveland, Ohio, and across really across the NBA when I say thank you. Um, I speak for a town that needed a hero. They needed heroes. You know, I grew up there. Uh, Cleveland needed heroes. And you were one of those heroes, if not the hero. So thank you. Um, and most of all, Mark, I speak for a kid from Bedford, Ohio, you know, that was looking for a Christian role model. He was looking for a guy and learning the game of basketball. And, and I want to say thank you from, from literally from the bottom of my heart. I, I mean it so genuinely. Thank you. Anybody that knows me knows that you are truly one of my heroes. And I use that word very carefully. Um, but, um, this meant the world to me. You, you replied to a tweet, man. It, I don't know how that happened. Um, I think I know how that happened. You know, I, I think I want to thank God for the opportunity that you just replied to a tweet and, uh, uh, you know, thank you. Uh, this, this has meant the world to me. Well, I, I appreciate that Aaron. It, uh, I'm humbled, uh, but thankful that God would, uh, allow me to have impact on people's lives like you yeah. and other people. When I played, that was why I did what I did. I didn't, uh, didn't do it for me. Uh, you know, whatever. I, I love the game of basketball and I was blessed to be able to do something. I love God blessed me with opportunities to, uh, to have impact on, on, on other people. And, uh, I love Northeast Ohio. I love getting to play in Cleveland. It was the perfect city for me. Mm -hmm the city in, in Northeast Ohio, just even to this day, you know, whenever I go back up there, uh, you know, just treat me really, really special and just make my family as well. And, you know, we, uh, we, we thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time there. Uh, uh, we just felt like we were part of the community. Yeah. You know, uh, we went to church there. We, mm -hmm. we lived there. We went to the grocery stores there. We lived in Hudson, Ohio while we played in Richfield and uh, we just felt like we were part of the community. You know, uh, I just happened to have a different job on the, <laughs> at, not, at night, you know, than, than other yeah. people. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, humbled and grateful that I was able to bring joy to people's lives and they could enjoy watching me play and our teams play. And, and that means the world to me. And, 
and I appreciate uh, all your kind words and mm-hmm. really enjoyed uh, our conversation. It's been great. Uh, you know, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Mark. Uh, one further question. Did you cry when they won in 2016? I didn't cry, but I was super, super happy. Just yeah. Super, you know, grateful for the city of Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and in some crazy way, felt like I was part of that process. Uh-huh. You, know, you uh, were. Helped, you were. Helped set, the, helped set the stage and the culture of expectation. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's one of the first things. I mean, you know, players and coaches are like, you know, you build up, but that's what it's all about. Before you can win, you know, win it, you got to build up those expectations to win it. Mm-hmm. That people can believe that you, you're good enough to do that. And I felt like we, we set that table. And then obviously, yeah. uh, you know, LeBron James came to town and, and uh, was able to get that thing accomplished. And it was, uh, it was, it was very gratifying moment. I was sitting there watching it on TV when it happened, just like everybody else in Cleveland. But uh, it was a fun, fun night, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 50, 60 years of waiting. I know it, yeah. it was a big weight lifted off the, the Cavs organization and uh, was super happy when, when it happened. I could tell you, you, you guys did, you, you kind of fixed, uh, you know, and I wasn't a Cavs fan when, when there's a lot of things in it, a lot of history that we didn't go through, but um, I picked it up right when you guys picked it up and, and have been a fan ever since. And to watch the foundation you all built in 96 or, you know, 86 um, with the draft and then all those things and all the heartbreak and all that stuff, man, it's just life, right? Like uh, it was just so amazing in 2016 to see it all finally come together and to know it wasn't just for, it wasn't just for Cleveland. It was for players like yourself that invested and, and brought Cleveland basketball back. And, and like I said, that kid in the driveway, you know, wherever that was that th- those moments were for them. And I'm sure I, and I don't feel worthy to speak for the city of Cleveland, but I'm pretty sure I speak for the city of Cleveland when I say that, um, man, thank you, Mark, honestly, uh, biggest interview I've ever done. Biggest honor of my life is, is this interview today. It's I'm so thankful for you. I have to share this really quick. All right, before we go, um, I, I you know, I've exchanged some domestic messages and emails, man, last night, Mark Price tells me, hey, man, we're going to be fine. It's just you and I talking. And, and like to, to have you tell me, hey, you're going to be fine. It's, don't worry, man. Don't be nervous. Uh, that was pretty special. So anyway, thank you, brother. You, you are, uh, uh, like I said, one of my few heroes. And I'm so thankful for you, Mark. Well, I appreciate it, Aaron. I enjoyed being with you. Uh, all the best. And maybe we can do it again down the road some. Open invitation from Mark Price. It's pretty much a gold ticket whenever you need it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad, from his studio at the Junction in Old Hilliard. Make sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out my song, Great and Mighty One, on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.